0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to Cinematic Underdogs. I'm your host,
1: Paul Keelan, and I'm with my co-host Jordan Huga. Today, we're going to continue our journey into the Netflix docu-series Untold. Uh, this episode is called Crime and Penalties great Dostoevsky reference there uh, and boy, i gotta tip my nerd hat to that we've been missing a lot of these low-hanging fruit lately okay i missed race earlier paul which one did you miss the other day in uh a... in, in personal best i missed yeah.
0: basically every symbol that that whole episode is just me being like i did not catch that symbol i did not catch that
1: symbol
0: <laughs> i did it's not catch that
1: high intertextuality alert today and we're looking for references and we're finding them in the titles right away, but uh,
0: hopefully people were on it tonight because I, at the very moment you brought up Dostoevsky, was like, "Wait, Crime and Punishment." Oh, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> the exact same moment, and it didn't click until that second though. So maybe we're on that's the same. How you wavelength.
1: know it's a good use of the t- of the, of the reference though? I think I think that's a good use of the reference. If it goes over, sometimes you know you you cloaked it well. Good point. You got. You have to. There's a level of like
0: finesse you have to have and mm. which can be too too obvious or, or, or overt otherwise
1: it's, it's problematic right it's just mm. corny it's a dad joke essentially and let's um, be honest we're, we're talking about hockey here today right this is a story about the Danbury Thrashers of uh, a team that's tied to the mafia we'll get into uh, to summarize it, it's like the Tony Sopranos of, ho- of hockey basically the Sopranos of hockey so how many people really have, have watched hockey have read Crime and Punishment. I'm I'm not so sure that's a a commonly known book in hockey circles, but I think that's also what makes it work. It has a little finesse to it.
0: Yeah, a little highbrow, lowbrow conflation going on there. I I would doubt that AJ Galante has read Crime and Punishment. (laughs) I did read actually that he went to college as he was helming the Danbury Thrashers. We'll We'll get into that. We'll get into that a little bit, uh, but no, I think that's a good point. At the same time, you think of like the Russian mafia and you think of the American, uh, well, that's what is it? uh, The KGB? Did I botch that? What's the acronym of the Russian?
1: Like their FBI
0: it's like they're FBI, but it's, but they're all thugs. Um, so okay. it's like, they're really scary. So it's FBI, like our, our but, FBI Yeah, we got true, FBI
1: agents in this, in this documentary too. Um, we'll get into <laughs> that a little later.
0: there's a lot and it's funny because when you just brought up what this was like, I thought of the FBI agent trying to describe it. And he described it as WWE meat slap shot. And that's yes. a quote, that's a direct yeah. quote from an FBI agent. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely love that. This documentary from Untold, this episode specifically, is made for cinematic underdogs from start to finish. It's everything we're about. AJ is one of us. He's a fanatical acolyte of the Mighty Ducks yeah. trilogy.
1: Um, he's almost a convert to it, you could say. Uh <laughs> he's like Banks. If Banks' dad was like a little corrupt, <laughs> who knows? Maybe Banks' dad might have might have been like on the side doing some shit like this because he's never at the games, who knows? But like he is, he's like Banks. He's got the he's got the bank role and he's got good ideas. Uh we'll get into like AJ here, uh, just from some context. AJ is the son of Jimmy. Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy uh, Galante. If you do a uh, Google search on that, I'm sure you'll be able to find some very interesting stories on that. Uh, But yeah, just just to get some context, basically uh, Jimmy uh, runs the... um waste management department or waste management department, I should say in Danbury and Connecticut. Um, those of us who are familiar with Sopranos, um, it's the same operation that Tony runs. Uh, they even mentioned in the documentary that possibly the Sopranos is based on this family. AJ is the son, is the son of Tony Soprano. AJ is very different than AJ Gelante in this. AJ is more of a fuck up and AJ Galante in this, he's very he's a visionary. I will say he's he is a showman, but yeah, so basically what I'm getting at though is that uh the, the father gives the son, who's at the time 17 years old, a hockey team. Pretty much he gives him a hockey team. And I, I want to get a little more to the background because I like the way he comes to the story of how he gets his son into hockey because it, it goes very well with our episodes of the Mighty Ducks. Um, if you want to do a little flashback and go down our catalog, check out the episode where we talk about Mighty Ducks. We talk about how it's an inspiration for both of us, I would say, to really pursue hockey in our youth as a, as a hobby, as a, as a lifestyle. I mean, hockey, I know, is a big part of what defined my childhood. Um, And we see that with AJ captured through this great raw family footage through the classic um, handheld camera, it looks like, right? These homemade videos. Um, And we see him, how he's, as he says, watching the Mighty Ducks, you know, introduced him to hockey. Uh, We see how the father gave him uh, the sticks on Christmas, right? Um, I I just point out, because like we said, he's, he's kind of a child of our time. Anyone who grew up in the 90s when hockey was hot. At that time, right, the, the passing of the torch from Gretzky to Lemieux, that next generation. Um, it really captures it pretty well in here, what the Mighty Ducks meant to a generation of kids. As a sports movie that really like titillated the um, imagination, uh, the possibility of sport. Like I said, it reached a, such a broad audience. Um, and, and to see it reach a mobster's son and him to ter- be able to use it as kind of this ethos as part of the building block of what his vision for the Danbury thrashers would be um we have to definitely point that out again to connect it to our episode and just to our age group it's kind of every kid's dream really right it's, it's, it's going back to our, our sports movies it's this weird combination of mighty ducks and is it uh, a league of th- which is the one the little big league Right, where he's kind of like a coach, right? He's like a manager, but he's a coach of the of the twins, if I remember right, if I remember that story correctly. Uh, it's like this again; it's a real life version of that. It has so many times. It has a weird Richie Rich vibe to it, honestly. Um, if you remember Richie Rich and the and the idea of having your own McDonald's, kid gets his own team. Uh, it's it's such a crazy fantasy played out in real life. And the way it happens, is you have to see it to believe it. Is is a pitch around here? Yeah,
0: this is totally you have to see it to believe it episode you couldn't even write this up. If you tried, this story is just balls to the walls insane. Every talking head in this documentary is straight out of like a gangster flick in the best possible way. Mm -hmm. Or if they're not out of gangster flick, they're just the greatest hockey personality of all time. I I absolutely loved it. I love that you brought up, uh, you know, that AJ is a visionary and in a funny way he is. And the way they start this is the best possible way. Uh, and it's of the commissioner of the UHL Richard Brossel and he's a character himself I actually kind of love him he's very endearing in his own right he's like first the like curmudgeonly draconian UHL like enemy who's like trying to constantly crack the whip on on the thra- uh, the trashers and then he comes around and by the time he comes around you realize he's he's likely been handed a nice nice heavy envelope with some money because, because <laughs> <laughs> there's no other real rationalization for why he comes around but, he, but he, says he does
1: he's from his home in Vegas in the documentary. <laughs> yeah. he, says, he says, like, what well, we're here now in Vegas. Like,
0: I mean, this is a person who's like, you know, in the first half talks about how they're disgraced to the league. They're they're they make it like a, a total sham. into a three-ring circus. I mean, they're the scum of the earth. I mean, these are directly quotes taken from his mouth. They're a cuckoo farm, um, and he's the you know, the face of the league. He did he did not like the Danbury Trashers. and and suddenly when he realizes that the uh the lockout of the NHL is bringing the money and the trash is the real reason why the money's coming in. He he suddenly says, "I get what AJ was doing. He was making the league good." Right? Mm-hmm. The only thing he he kind of uh oddly and intentionally does here strategically does is the word good? He really means profitable. Let's be honest here. He doesn't mean it. he was making the league good. Uh, he was making it entertaining and profitable, which is awesome. I'm not against it. I'm just saying that's what he cared about. He cared about the dollar signs. But but no, uh, it starts off this documentary really. The I at least the first like cognizant moment I always come back to when I think of this is of Richard Brassard, the UHL commissioner, saying that he's sitting in this meeting. With Jimmy Galante, you know the patriarch, the kingpin of the mafia, of the of the trash mafia in Connecticut. In this meeting, learning that you know there's going to be this new team, this uh, expansion team, and then. He learns that the GM of this team is, is none other than a 17-year-old kid. And he says, suddenly this kid with a chain around his neck walks into the room and, quote, my jaw dropped to the floor. And so I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be a story about this total screw-up. this this little wannabe Eminem gangster kid who he totally has that 90s look a little bit. But he is awesome. He is so awesome. He's charismatic. He's, he's articulate. He's ethically complex. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an entrepreneur. He's he's uh, self-deprecating in a very endearing way. I mean, AJ is just like a well-rounded individual. Mm-hmm. He defies your first impression in the best possible way. And I absolutely love that about him. And he's the centerpiece of this, no doubt. I mean, Jimmy too, his dad, kind of a father-dad story more than anything else. But uh, I think that the, the real winner here is AJ. But there's so many winners. This is so great.
1: Continuing with AJ, because like I like the way you mentioned the way the commissioner is like a framing device but aj's introduction is great because it's just him with a maniacal laugh and it's you're supposed to not like him in the beginning let's be right real right like you said but like like interesting enough um he was on Spit and chicklets like when this came out and he was even talking about how like he was like embarrassed about the clothes but like i gotta give him credit like all of us have that embarrassing clothing style no matter what like mine would be like the emo big old liberty spikes and my bangs looking like flock of seagulls or something like that but like you know i like that he, he wore that time that persona and what that uh look was for pretty well i like the way it positioned like the growth of the mindset like even from the first inner or first press conference we see him give where it's like um it's it's like anyone who's ever given their first presentation for a class. He's doing all the classic, you know, t- twitching his shirt, can't Love really it. stand still, right? He's, he's a kid. Uh, he's still a kid. And you see him get the confidence as he gets the vision. I think that the, the dog does a good job of that. And he, that's not what makes him likable to say, uh, again, like I said, really, the one of the things that makes him likable is a connection to the father. Uh, this dog does a great job of humanizing. Um, Jimmy, I'm going to reference the Sopranos a lot here. He's very much like he actually, like I said, he actually has a signed picture from uh, James Ganolfini that says to the real Tony Soprano, apparently in his office, that all the hockey players took note of, right? They all like thought that was really cool. But yeah, like for me, the connection of uh, uh, the family link to Soprano has always been, you know, the complexity of the family dynamic, the idea of loyalty, right? The idea that like and JJ says, you don't snitch, right? Is a value. And again, the value of that is so you can provide more for your family than you had, right? It's that immigrant dream that is with Um, every immigrant culture right and that's something that's not really um overtly talked about in terms of like his ethnicity right but it's tied in there with that with that story of where they're coming from if as as i understand it um so i like that kind of connotation uh, that connection to um again that what is really the american dream right when we when we look at there will be blood and all these great epics of you know getting your hands dirty too create that generational wealth, right? That's that's another part of the story. Um, and it's very interesting the way it plays out because there's this interesting balancing act where we'll find the FBI just intervenes whenever Jimmy's up top. Right. And that's very interesting. Right. We like we'll get these interesting details of the uh, the, they break down the complexity of the case and like the flaws of how and again, very Sopranos. It comes down to someone talking too much on a fucking cell phone gives you the right to intercede. Right. And really break it down. So if you're a fan of, like you said, uh, Mafia, those type of movies or anything like The Wire, anything like that. This is one of those credible. It gives credit, gives credence to that to that genre uh, of them doing their research and and just that, that the fabric of that reality is, is really tied into this documentary really well without referencing the fictional too much, which I appreciate. Right, you don't want to have your whole thing be connected to the Sopranos. But even the FBI, I like how they frame when they're approaching him. It's post Sopranos is when we go to this one, right? Even the way they're framing, it, like they're framing the zeitgeist of how impactful the Sopranos wasn't a culture, and I love that. it. As you watch this, and you watch Sopranos, you can see these connections, some characters on the show, possibly. You really get the idea of that, um, like I said, the loyalty, that mochismo type of culture and how that plays into the team dynamic is really interesting, too. Uh, Again, the loyalty is so complex in this and it ties into the documentary of Malice in the Palace. Like Stephen Jackson o'neill like again, the reason you stand up for your players in those moments of chaos and whatever, right? Having the back, having real loyalty. Um, who you got? You said who you go to in those moments of tension, either to hurt or defend, is very character defining and real, right? And and, and we we'll get we're getting them celebrated and handled very differently in these two documentaries. Like here is an entire organization built around the idea of celebrating quote unquote thugship, right? <laughs> um, or in the case of hockey, we call it the goon, right? It's, it has a different, different connotation. It could still be negative, but it's really, it's not if you're a hockey fan, let's be honest. Most most goons might wear that with pride to a certain degree, but I like the way it's captured in this. And it's just such a good juxtaposition for the conversation we had with Malice in the palace, how it can be, if it's marketed right. And if your commissioner, as you pointed out, is flexible enough and okay with it enough, right? It can be a profitable market. It can be altered, like altering the league's identity for better or for worse. But the culpability of all is so interesting with the NBA and how this weird arbitrariness of behind the scenes judicialism and how it's how it's really just bullshit. It always just comes down to these to these dudes in the in the chair and, you know, who can make these final says. And it all comes down, as we'll see, to the dollar, um, which I find fascinating with these first two uh, of the series.
0: Yeah. Hey, that's always the invisible barometer or the the, the the really the moving factor of of all these stories is, the, is money. Right. It's 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 the true impetus for most of these decisions as I early, early on called the commissioner out, right? And in, in how he was enemy number one of Section 102 until he realized that he was his cash cash you know bag. And then suddenly he he's trying to appeal to Section 102, which is the amazing, amazing fan base that stands behind the opposing team's bench, right? With horns, slurs, slants, every single psychological piece of arsenal you can deploy. Mm-hmm. And use to your advantage to, you know, Give create. Context. As they said,
1: the team's owner goes down there with a camcorder and taunts the players in the penalty box. Like, I mean, like how like, it's so outlandish and like genius, but like as a player, like what do you do with that? And then, you know, who the kid who his father is, right? Like there's this, it's such a, a circus show dynamic. And like, it's like, like the way it's showed in the doc in the documentary, the way it's played. Yeah. I found it so fascinating the, the way uh, AJ really, really leveraged um, his role and his position. And he made it, like, fun. <laughs> like, like, I got to say, like, I was just going to throw out, watching this documentary, man, one of my favorite things is going to minor league sports. We used to have, like, the Jet Hawks out in um, Lancaster. I um, used to love watching. You get cheap seats, good food. You get to watch an entire game. And I would have loved to have minor league hockey. But imagine having this, like, this show. As he said, the WWE, like, in a season when there's a lockout, you got Brent Gretzky, right? That, like, that is such a circus and so, like, as a fan of sports, like I would love to be like in that town at that time. You know that uniqueness and that raw energy and fantasy is so deserving of being told, right? Like that's that's one thing I would say when you watch this: is you feel like you missed out, <laughs> and like it's essentially a bunch of fucking brutal ass brawls It's not, you know, it's not what like fighting's all about in the NHL at all. It's about like go see blood. You know, you're this. Imagine being the team. Like I can imagine coming to Denver. You have to play these guys. And they just don't even want to play hockey. They want to fight you the whole time. And if you win the fight, you have to fight him again. Or the next next guy who's called like the Nigerian Nightmare. Like, I mean, I, I love the, the names. It's so like, again, like we said, it's so larger than life. Like, you know, Slapshot, like Mighty Ducks. It I feel like you've missed out on this, on this great moment of underdog sports history, really.
0: Yeah, like worldwide wrestling, right? Like yeah. WWE. And this is a kid who grew up with a dad who was able to get the rock. And uh who else showed up to his birthday party? China. China, yeah, China.
1: Anybody who watched WWE in the 90s, he had like all of them there, like Triple H. It looks like I think Shawn Michaels is in that picture too. Like he had VX at his uh at his birthday party.
0: They later get John Cena at the Mm. the arena, right? They play at. So I mean this is the connection to worldwide wrestling go deep. And that AJ is unabashedly admits that that's basically what he's trying to do. He's trying to bring that energy, that spectacle, that theatricality into hockey. He wants it to be a show. He wants it to be entertainment. One funny slip of tongue I noticed I really latched onto was one of the FBI guys called the Danbury Trashers an entertainment venue. He called it. He didn't even call it a sports venue. It was an entertainment venue. It's a good point, right? Uh, That's what it truly was, first and foremost. And not only did these opposing teams who come in there get, you know, just bullied and beat up as if they were playing, you know, the, the famous Broad Street bullies not too far down on the Northeast in in Philadelphia, right? But they had to go into locker rooms that had no running water. Oh, yes. Paper towels for instead of towels. No goalie pads, right? Because of the great Tommy Papacelo, right? Tommy T-Bone. T-Bone, right? One of the most outlandish, larger-than-life interviewees I've ever seen. He's introduced with a soundbite, perfectly dropped in, And he says, "quote, Cocaine is a hell of a drug." (laughs) That's our first introduction to him. (laughs) After uh, being prefaced, right? We don't get introduced to him yet, but we get prefaced with the fact that AJ gets this guy because he is his middle school gym equipment teacher, right? Or gym
1: teacher, right? Yeah, middle. Is his middle school like (laughs) hockey coach?
0: What is this guy doing?
1: Like teaching kids? Like why is he even around kids in middle? Best part, he said he used to be known for (laughs) drilling kids on the boards, like dumb, dumb him on the boards they got a clip of him in the documentary fucking <laughs> nailing it. that that's like 90s hockey though man i remember even when we used to play roller hockey some of those adults would like beam us with like the fucking ship like you said he captures like the time and like you find out yeah he, he actually was an equipment manager for a lot of minor league teams and stuff like that too uh but to bring it back to your point though like tommy t-bone like you said would like fuck with their equipment I wrote down some of the things he used to do. All right? So just imagine you are you just drove from fucking California to Danbury, Connecticut, because you're a minor league team. You don't get to fly anywhere. You get shit unless you're on the fucking trashers, because they had fucking bomb accommodations because they got taken care of very well by Jimmy. He took great care of his fucking players, man. But yeah, anyways, imagine coming in there from, from your fucking long ass bus ride and you get to go take the shower in the locker room It's just cold water, right? They only have hot water and any of the faucets in there. Then you get out of your shower, you go to check your equipment and it's gone. Like you can't find your gloves. You got one glove. You got a missing skate. Like all your laces are gone. There's this great, I've like, been recommending a few times. Check it out. This Spain checklist podcast. He goes in detail, uh, AJ, of some of the stuff Tommy used to take from the teams. And like, it's just so, like, as you said, as you said, this mental warfare, warfare, man. Like, you know, he tries to frame it as a general, but like, it's the most nuanced, nuisance, pain in the ass things that could fuck up your pregame ritual, your mindset, all that. Like, and as I said, and all this before you play the team he's going to drop the gloves, you know, and- Soon as the puck drops. Like it's so it's beyond unfair. It's beyond sportsmanlike, but it fits again, it fits this team's. Goal, the purpose, the mentality, and like the idea of pushing boundaries, like how far you can push these boundaries. Like he was the, he was the only equipment manager ever get to get suspended, right? Or whatever from the league. The equipment manager, right? How, when do you hear that? When do you hear it's not a player, it's not a coach, it's the equipment manager who's who's the problem. But yeah, like you said, the the great uh, attire, this the cigar, um, very quotable lines across the board. Yeah, one of the best interviews. I agree with you, interviewees that you can see excellent delivery. Ever, ever. Yeah. The cigar too. He just chain smoking that cigar,
0: holding his, his necklace. Right. It's probably like a a cross because he's probably got this deep faith, even though he's like the most like heretical gangster ever in the best way. Right. But uh, you know, he's a man of deep loyalty too, though. He has great, great quotes, right? Like uh, near the end when when, uh, Jimmy goes to, goes to the pen for 87 months, you know, mm-hmm. what does, you know, Tommy say? He says he did his time like a man, like a Danbury trasher, yep. <laughs> <laughs> which is such a great comparison to the player sitting in the penalty box, right? There's no comparison for the length of time, but it's like you do your time, right? Yeah. You're, you're a bully, you recognize it. And what I loved about this too is how uninhibited they are in, in disclosing that they know what they are. They're self-aware. They are the goons. They are the, the trashers. You know, they're the scum, right? The, and they have this motif, this elite motif, right? It's like it's all working together, and it just builds and builds with the perfect associations, and and uh, it really makes them likable. It's it's what an underdog is. They're an ensemble of outcasts, ex convicts, rejects, bullies, and heels, right? And. <laughs> They are just an eclectic bunch that you can't help but to root for, even though you know they're the bad guys, right? Uh-huh. And, you know, sometimes the bad guys are just worth rooting for. And here, they are absolutely
1: worth rooting for from start to finish. Oh, yeah. they and- like the Tarantino characters, man. You know what I mean? Like, they, like I love our intro. Sorry to cut you off. Our intro to Wingfield. Wingfield is like the Enforcer of Enforcers. I mean, we're talking about a team of Enforcers, but Wingfield's introduction is he beat up four prison guards. And AJ's like, I need him, right? That is like classic hockey story, right? There's always the bouncer who dummied X amount of patrons. You know, there's always, how do you get your enforcement? That is a great story of, you know, the guy, the legend, right? And I love the way it goes down. Like it's, the documentary does a really great job really quickly of showing the sacrifice of his body all from his hockey fights, not just who knows his other fights, but he goes through how he lost his finger, uh, all the surgeries, 300 some stitches, broken clavicle, Fibula, like he breaks his ankle in the game, right? With that dirty slew foot incident, right? He is a fucking warrior, right? I mean, when you think about Ice Guardian, I don't even, I got to watch it again. I don't know if he was in that, but like they should have an edited version to tell his story because his, his is, again, like when you see his first, going back to you said like loyalty and like the large in life thing, like he gets a call. Like when you talk about getting the fight, like getting the call to get a fight, it's usually a tap on the shoulder from the coach who doesn't say it, but you know, you're supposed to do. It. He gets a call on his cell phone from the top, from fucking Jimmy, and, you know the coach hands him a cell phone and jimmy says when the puck drops you drop your gloves just like a like you said just like the enforcer he goes and does it but like he says who am i gonna fight i don't know who i'm gonna fight but someone's gonna get it he goes and like the raw footage of him looking like you know just like a dog like the dead eyes they call they have, there's a part with the first game of the season you know they're calling out their names and everyone's cheering and he's just staring down who he's going to kill I don't think he heard his name to be honest <laughs> like it's the moment when everyone else is like yeah fucking we're gonna play our first game and see this fool just looking down who he's going to kill and the worst part is, of course the guy tells him to fuck off it's like the worst thing you can say in that situation when a guy asks you to fight in a hockey game but yeah and then you see the you see the mismatches. The other everything i'm like it's not, it's not spoken but you see this is just a team of mismatches like these guys were beating up star players they're beat up enforcers like you see these fights they're just one sided. Like these are beatdowns on beatdowns like we like we're talking about Malice in the Palace. We're talking like in that like 3 4 some of those punches don't even connect like the guy who got knocked out might not even really been knocked out from what we see like you know it's very questionable like the most the, the, the craziest part obviously that was possible when the fucking chair hits that old guy like that's when the chaos gets really like you know scary but even that man you look at what fucking wingfield did to some of those guys or the nigerian nightmare when he fucking defended wingfield after he broke his eight he tried to fight the whole bench and probably beat up like the three of them on his way out like i mean it do- yeah. that is very good hockey fight footage very good sports footage but again the narrative arc of it and what it represents to be a team an enforcer a you know competitor it's so entwined and just really uh, expressed very well in that in that first game and like his redemption fight like i said it really complicates like we said the celebration of violence Like like you said section 102 i can imagine what those fans would have been like like the shit they might have been slinging both verbally and physically and the way it can be you know kind of like harnessed differently you know perpetuated with the right narrative it can be um untouchable almost and it's so interesting because just the narrative like you said like we was going to kill dudes after that and then you know like i said Nigerian might wear that fight is it's next level but like i said very very raw footage though this is some co- comparing to the males in the palace this is it's like i said it's very orchestrated with some music and there's some tensional pulling and some directional orchestration going on but what you're seeing is very like very visceral um and yeah it's it's a it's a good watch
0: yeah, yeah. And it's so uh, tethered to our sports movies, right? We have the antics that we saw in the Mighty Ducks 3 movies, especially, right? When it's just pranks and pranks and pranks from one team to the other, right? We get the pranks here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the sort of sentimentality from Goon where they have these fights and, uh, you know, it's it's the, the images are kind of like, Startling, but the the narrative is sentimental, right? Deeply sentimental. The music, uh, you know. You have Tommy T Bone saying uh, he's talking about the the fight you just talked about at length, right? Where Elsinger breaks Brad Wingfield's leg, snaps it like a pretzel rod, yeah. as AJ says, and it takes him forever to get back. He's asked by Jimmy if if he wants you know to do something about it because they find his address. But I'm glad, I'm so glad that Brad took the higher road. It was like, no, I'll take care of it on the ice, right? <laughs> And, you know, he gets back and I love AJ describes the moment because the TV, the local TV station that's playing the UHL game cuts out. Right. I love that fact. Why did it cut out? Maybe they knew what was coming. Right. And Uh maybe they purposely cut the feed. They didn't even bring that up, but they probably cut the feed. So all we have of this footage is AJ, who always had his camcorder and the raw footage of AJ's camcorder. And he gives a play by play. Right. We don't ever get to see the broadcaster give a play by play. Mm -hmm. But AJ says it was like a shark gliding towards its prey. And then he bites <laughs> cross check to the face <laughs> and then you get it and you get the shot after of the, the referees kind of like brushing up the like blood splattered ice. Yeah. And you get uh Jimmy saying, you know, this was actually from a different one from when the first major fight in the stadium, that it was this like beautiful thing. It transformed and we knew we had something we knew we'd capture magic in a bottle basically is what they're saying. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, not uh, quoting word for word. But, uh, you know, they understand their gimmick, they understand their pull, and they, they played it masterfully for the short, you know, duration that they had until the FBI stepped in, which is why this is such an amazing story. We have the FBI going on. We have the perfect in- industry, right, that this mafia works in, which is trash, right? It's blue collar, down and out, marginalized, dirty work, right? We have uh, a team that represents all of these things, and then they garner a fan base that is largely, as we see, especially at the end, when they have a reunion in that bar, it's a dive bar. Those guys are rough and tumble, you know, dudes like mm-hmm. construction workers and trash workers who were in that section 102. We don't get to meet too many of the fans, but we have one couple. I don't know if she has like cerebral palsy or some something. She's in a wheelchair. She's amazing. She's one mm-hmm. of the fans and, and her, and her uh, husband, I, I assume. And um, we just get that, like, these are people that aren't, you know normally, you know, accepted into many circles in life, right? Mm-hmm. They're a little rough around the edges or have like disabilities or handicaps. And they found purpose in this team. Uh, so much purpose that that guy, it's going to be buried, he says, in his will, <laughs> in his Denver Treasures yeah. jersey. I mean, that is great. And then we had this heartwarming little story about uh, his wheelchair wife is go- its now a goalie for T that, that was amazing. She's a goalie on a wheelchair. Uh, just so awesome. And I, I love that. I love that underdog feel of like, you know, it's not just about the antics on the ice or even off the ice. It's also about like the camaraderie, the community of this band of, of oddballs and misfits and outcasts and pariahs coming together to celebrate their weirdness in this environment. And for a little bit of time, they actually get, like the limelight and that's just a great fun too to see them on sports center to see the the media footage uh, it's hilarious that they they bought the team and started the team on april 1st and so everyone has a joke like it was not an april fool's joke <laughs> that's going on here, even though it sounds like one and just you know you can't write this is what the sports center anchor says mm-hmm. and you just can't you can't write the story And as someone who's watched a million Scorsese gangster flicks about Italian Bostonians, usually, and, you know, the mafia, I don't always believe them to the fullest degree that they maybe deserve because i watched this and i'm like oh this is legit like these are those guys they exist i need to have more generosity when i watch these things you know i'm not a huge historian with the mafia i haven't watched too many documentaries on the mafia itself but this gave me enough i i totally believe it now i mean these guys were blowing up trash trucks of rivaling companies and <laughs> we hear them extorting and bribing and racketeering on the phone you know we we knew they mean business and you know there's a lot. That's not said That's said there's moments of pause or reticence. There's very laconic choices when they're asking Jimmy and them questions where they give a smirk, and they give an insinuation and that's enough, you know, Mm -hmm. that, you know, these guys have done some dirty work, and they're, they're, they're open about it, actually, they're pretty transparent. As much yeah, as they are, it, they're not going to like, uh, you know, incriminate themselves, but but they, they, they let you know what, what's going on without saying it explicitly. And I, I love that again. I said that in the Mouse to the Palace. I said it's about this one. I love about this Untold series, and I think it should be called Unfiltered, because every one of these, if it has one thing that amazes me each time, it has people who have muddied, stained histories and pasts completely candid on camera talking about the things they've done, right? And it's just phenomenal that they're getting these people to, openly admit and brag and just extrapolate on on all of the nitty gritty things they did if whether it's like even just disclosing as brad does you know every time that jimmy came in and dropped a duffel bag of money (laughs) at his foot like normally people don't even bring that up because they say even 10 years 20 years on you don't want the fbi knocking on your door right because we know that's dirty money but we are getting this on film and i absolutely love it um so yes every interviewee is hilarious the people who brought that actually actually up were hilarious too. the twin brothers are oh, yeah. constantly one of them's interrupting them right and you can tell <laughs> that they have this like i don't know this perfect sibling back and forth tit for tat That they just spawn on i mean this is this is this is it this is hilarious documentary one of the best of the of the year in uh, or if any docuseries i've seen in a long time just of pure entertainment value this thing it's yeah. on the charts.
1: Just like you said, uh, the character ties to like the hockey movies we watched are still in this documentary. Like, there's this great part because it made mean, these are real people. But like you just mentioned, with the brothers, every hockey movie we got over like from Slapshot as the twin brothers, you know, Mighty Ducks as Jesse and uh, what's his name, uh, those brothers in the first one, right? It's such a trope of real hockey, like the C. Deans and you know whatever the abuse And then to put it like for AJ to find that, right? Like he's, as he says, to see that connection. Like he had this eye, and I love when you get like uh, what's his name, one-eyed Willie. He gets his second chance to like you know. He never play in the NHL, but, you know, he still has the skills to be a scorer, right? And to be, be a great positional player. And he has the protection of these great enforcers around him. Like, that's such a brilliant move, again, by AJ. I think he brings in, I love the first signings, Gretzky was Brent Gretzky's, Wayne Gretzky's brother. who's in the shadow. I remember I have a Brent Gretzky uh, trading card somewhere. That's how I found out when Gretzky had a brother was through like an upper deck card pack. Um, so like, I love, I love that. Like again, like that markmanship, that coyness playing with the Gretzky name, knowing it's going to be, you know, Brent and he's going to get that news coverage. Again, the, the way it connects to Mighty Ducks, him looking for those characters, even like you said, through video games and Google, which was new at the time, him trying to find his analytics is what led him to these people. I love that. I love that connection. Like just playing video games and like very, like you said, in that, in that context, of him being 17 year old, but being very productive with it. Like I said, the documentary does such a good job of showing AJ's transformation from, you know, son who inherits this to son who like takes the reins with it. You know, eventually loses it, but eventually goes out on his own. And he, as you see at the end of the documentary, he uh, runs like a boxy gym, it looks like. And you still see that kind of entrepreneurial spirit and him being that successor. Uh, the, the way it wraps up, it's it's a good full circle, very like humanizing, which you don't get from like as you said from the first scene we get it's going to be i feel like it's going to be more of a cat and dog kind of chase thing going on between the commissioner and aj and synthesizes so unexpectedly by the time you get to the end when you find out that the commissioner just isn't going to rat on anybody he's actually he's not he's not a snitch you find out I and mean, you don't get that at, the, at all from the beginning right i feel like if you're going to do the call the shot you think it's going to end with this guy's going to be the snitch or something like that but it's not the case at all so yeah I, I, again i like the uh cinematic quality of this documentary
0: yeah definitely and it has a theme that's it's constant throughout and it's as you said it's anti-snitch and anti-ratting that's like the thing it's like whether it's the mafia whether it's the hockey whether it's the commissioner whether it's that it's like you're loyal and you stand by your word that's what aj said that he said in his classroom like yeah. the third grade when they came to him right you stand by your word you stand by your your fellow man and you know and I, uh, jimmy says like you're surprised by who actually ends up sticking up for you and then they edit right quickly and shift into the commissioner mm-hmm. and we learned that the commissioner was put in this 10 by 10 room and told again and again by the fbi to try to say that jimmy kind of extorted him and he mm-hmm. would not That's say that enough. you know so then he defended him and they were enemies for a lot of this for a lot of this documentary so i love that a lot of misdirection here and perfect redirections right they constantly have a good tonal understanding of building you up as you said right like the fbi would like kind of allow him to be like free until like he gets too high and then just come crashing down mm-hmm. the documentary is really good at like i noticed it a few few times and i wrote it down like there's a part where they lose the championship but they make it the championship they're feeling good he's you know talking about how everyone's like kind of just like we're going to come back next year we're going to win it next year and he and he literally says let's get to work and it's a positive note the music's positive and uplifting. cut we have an overhead shot and we are we have the guy from the fbi talking about how like they come down on him right they constantly do that. They constantly pull the rug from our feet. And like every time we, they start to get like somewhere, like we get this great redirection and it's just great like narrative drama. It's, it's just really well edited. Every uh, piece of old footage fits what they're talking about so well. That's so hard to do. They complement the uh, sound bites of the talking heads with images that really portray what they're talking about. They must have spent hours digging through these old archival films and VHSs and camcorder footage. to get like the perfect shots to really convey Whether it's like someone talking about how they were depressed for a little period, right? There's the the part where AJ talks. He talks to Dago's first in jail when he's in eighth grade for a year, right? And he says he has to be the man of the house. I was bummed out. They pull an image from his graduation and you could see the depression in his eyes. I Mm. love that. Like This is a very, very immaculately edited documentary. It's so well done. And so just on that level, on the technical level and the directorial level, I was truly, truly impressed from, from start to finish. And as you said, I love that AJ's arc, even at the end, is really interesting, right? We have the father goes to jail. He owns up, right? He, he ends up, as uh, Tommy T-Bone says, right? You can't, you, you can't be a bully and then, uh, you know, not face the music when the time comes, right? <laughs> you have to be able to, like, accept it. Or, or as AJ says, which I... Probably should sound off with this because I think this is the quote of the film. He says, you know, bad guys are not supposed to win and we were the bad guys. So we didn't win. And it's just like, that's the way it happens, right? But we were, but it's not like he says, like, we shouldn't have been the bad guys. it was just, that wasn't our role. It was kind of like we had fun while, we, while it lasted. There's a bittersweetness yeah. to it and acceptance of it. But, you know, he humbles himself too when his dad goes to jail. And he works for a heating oil company for years. And then finally, he, you know, kind of gets that vigor again. He probably took some time. It's, it's, he took a big blow. He's deflated. You know, it happened. But I love that he comes back as a boxing promoter. And not only that, I don't, you know, they don't get too deep into it. But he must have picked a guy who was kind of a hero kind of provocateur <laughs> because his first show, he says, was like on ESPN, right? And they're uh, getting trash thrown at them in the rink, right? <laughs> and he, he says it was like the fight of the year. I mean, it was. it's just, you can't write this stuff. It's just too great. Yeah, I can't recommend this to the audience enough. I mean, it's about a mafioso who is in diet with 17 counts of everything you can name. It's about a team of of misfits who stand behind their coach every, every step of the way. And, uh, you know, it's about a father and son relationship right? And the father doesn't sell out his son at any moment. And he goes to jail for 87 months, as I said, because he he quotes, you know, the sin of thy father should not be passed down mm-hmm. on the son. He He's someone who who has integrity in his own right. He has his blemishes and he's, a, you know, he's a thug and a bully. <laughs> if you want to throw that term out in his own rights, right? Because we heard those phone calls. Dude's a thug. So there's no sugarcoating that, but like, you know, and within that tradition... He, he sticks by his ethical framework to a T and, you know, it is what it is. So I think I've covered pretty much everything I wanted to say. I mean, we just went zip fast. I mean, we love it. I'll start. I won't even pass it on uh, in our underdog overrated binary. I can't not call this anything but an underdog. You have to see this. It's off the wall, off the charts crazy, and uh, it's filled with characters you will not forget anytime soon. Go check this out on Netflix tonight. So what did you think? Overrated or
1: underdog? I concur with you. E- easy one on this one. Completely underdog. And like I, like I said, going through it, it has all those underdog notes i like we discussed, and it really plays off it very well. And like I said, as a viewer, um, it took me in directions I wasn't anticipating based on that brief Netflix description, which is very important. Those Netflix descriptions. Yeah, it was a very enticing description. And where it went was surprising. And like I said, it has a lot of heart this one this one has a lot of heart and even like mouse in the palace too like i said we have a lot of insight with the characters or the characters our, our players but this one has like this like i said this unexpected layer of uh family loyalty and like genuine love on both the character of both the players parts and for the symbol of the trashers which is important when we talk about sports teams what those symbols represent and like even if it's something brief that tribalism that's attached to it from section 102 be it or i love the part where even mike Rupp, fucking nhl legend you can still see him on broadcasting doing broadcasting like he still has dudes come up to him and like not even talk about his Stanley Cup clinching goal with the Devils. They remember him playing with the Trashers. Like people have that memory. Like I was at the arena when the lockout was here. We got Mike Rupp playing over here. Like you know that's it, something even he sees like the significance of it. You can see the pride uh, that Mike Rupp still carries with his time in Danbury. Like it, it's something very special. I like the way it's captured.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's also a timestamp too. And I love that you took up earlier for AJ's like attire. Like he was one of us. The so, uh, way the baggy the baggy shorts. The I mean I never had. The earrings and stuff, but like he reminded me so much. We once had a young coach; who was really cool. I really thought he uh, was Eric. dope. Eric you reminded me of him, just like the cool guy at the hockey rink, right? With kind of like the shaved head. I mean, I I literally like dug his style, even though like it's very funny and passe today, of course, right? Everything that was like late '90s, early 2000s, is yeah. funny and passe today. But no, I even love that about him. um oh, yeah. Really I mean, relatable. Was,
1: remember our, our hockey pants when you play roller hockey? Were giant ass, baggy, like like janko jeans, pretty much. They weren't jeans, but was But that's what they like modeled after because you put all your pants under and look like you fucking are gonna break dance while you played hockey but that was like the cool thing right you tuck your jersey in and it had its own style that you look back in and you, and you laugh <laughs> and not only the style and not
0: only the fashion, right? But like the sense of place and community, as I've said so many times, right? What I love about AJ too and this family is that like you could tell, like he says, he grew up just around talking about people, like right? talking about guys and like they're all affable and sociable and full of life and vigor and like the American dream in a weird way. And not just because like they make money around the mafia, but the American dream because they like found a place and a home and a family, mm-hmm. right? An extended family. And I, I like that about that. They like radiate like passion and warmth and ambition and loyalty for their for their people right and i don't know i just it's definitely worth checking out so next on this untold saga we're going on we're going to do deal with the devil and uh, this one's about christy martin i've seen it jordan has i'm so stoked and i think we have to do it next because it's perfectly aligned with this and she broke boundaries and noses as she rose in the boxing world but her public persona doesn't reveal her full story she also has a lot of personal demons abuse and a direct threat to her life she (laughs) has an insane story as well i believe she's from west virginia or somewhere in the sort of uh mining country south very impoverished background and she ends up with don king and then ends up on major fights at bmgm you know grand in the late 90s i mean this is a wild story as well filled with unfiltered interviewees and just a story you can't make up so i'm so stoked for this and i'm stoked to talk about it with you until next time everyone thanks for listening and peace